All right, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. My name is Joe Deegan. I'm uh, excited to teach this class. I'm excited that you guys uh, wanted to come join us. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself before we really dive into it. So I'm from a small town called Tuscumbia, Alabama. And are you y'all from Tuscumbia? We had some Tuscumbia people in the first group. So uh, they're from my hometown. And I was born and raised there. Graduated from the University of North Alabama in 2009 and then moved to Houston to work with my best friend growing up, John Trapp, who is now the RUF pastor at Texas. And worked with the youth ministry for seven years, eventually felt a calling toward music and kind of did the singer-songwriter thing for a little while and then eventually navigated my way to this job with RYM. And I love RYM. Uh, we used to bring our youth group here all the time, and so uh, it was just such a great fit for me personally and for my family. Uh, speaking of family, my family is right out there at that pool right now. My wife, Leah, is from Houston. I met her when I moved there. We've been married for almost seven years. We have three kids. Ellie is five, Will, uh, Sam is three and a half, and Will is two, and we have a fourth one on the way. Maggie will be here in October. I can't wait to meet her. We're evening things out. Two girls, two boys. Excited about that. Also, a little bit about my family history. I, I come from a long line of storytellers. My grandmother was kind of a professional storyteller in North Alabama. She used to <clears throat> tell these ghost stories and folk tales and festivals and things like that. And I can remember uh, being a little kid gathering on the lawn of the Helen Keller Public Library. Uh, Helen Keller is from Tuscumbia, by the way. That's like our one claim to fame. Uh, and I can remember just gathering on the public library lawn and listening to my grandmother tell these stories and just being lost in imagination and just being just in awe of these stories. And so our whole family is like that. We have a lot of good storytellers in my family, which really ties into the lesson today. Because what I want to talk about this week is stories. And I want you to see that nothing moves us or shapes us or changes us in quite the same way that stories do. And I want you to see how important stories are. And I want you to see how much God loves stories. Uh, and I will begin, before we really dive into it, I will begin by telling you a story about stories. Several hundred years ago, like the 14, 15, 1600s in Europe, a lot of people lived kind of out in the countryside, in villages, near forests and woods, in these small little communities. These communities were very family-oriented, and they, the parents wanted to instill family values, Christian values into their kids. But they realized something early on. They, you can't just give kids a bunch of rules. Like it just doesn't work. Right? If you tell a kid, like, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't disrespect your parents, do not go into the woods because there are wild animals and bandits out there that want to kill you. If you tell a kid that, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to lie, they're going to steal, they're going to cheat, they're going to disrespect their parents, and they're definitely going to go into the woods because you told them not to. Right? So the parents had to figure out another way to communicate these values to their kids. And so what they did was they told stories. This was in a day and age before TV and internet. And so they would gather around the campfire at night or around the mantle of the living room, and they would come close together. The parents would tell them stories. They 
be a story about a little girl dressed in red who wants to bring a meal to her grandmother, but she has to go through the woods to get there. And along the way, she meets the big bad wolf. Right? If you're a five-year-old kid and you hear a story like that, the first thing you're going to think is, well, I don't want to go into the woods. Like, it works. <laughs> Stories shape us way more than rules do. And parents realize this. Somewhere around the early 1800s, there were these two brothers named Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm who decided to collect these stories together into a published book called Grimm's Fairy Tales. And these are the stories that you and I grew up on. Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Rumpelstiltskin, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood. That is just to name a few. All right, These stories around for generation after generation and they were born out of this idea that parents realized that stories shape us in ways that nothing else can. We were made for stories. I'll tell you another story that has to do with the same thing. There's an author named Sally Lloyd-Jones who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. I'm sure it's somewhere on that book table. I also know that there is a version of it called The Story of God's Love for You that is basically the Jesus Storybook Bible without the pictures. It's also on the book table somewhere. Go check it out. It is an incredible walk through Scripture that helps you see that the whole thing is a story. I love Sally Lloyd-Jones, and I heard her tell this story one time. She said that one day she was teaching uh, at a kindergarten class, and she was telling them the story of Daniel. She was reading it to them from her book. And as she's sitting in front of the kindergartners reading the story of Daniel in the lion's den, the teacher gets up and walks out of the room. And so she's alone with these kindergartners, and she's thinking, okay, I'll just keep reading the story. Everything's fine. And as she's reading the story, she notices this little kindergarten girl right in front of her whose eyes are this big. I mean, she is just in awe of the story of Daniel. Like, can't believe how amazing this is. And is just transfixed with the story. And and Sally Lloyd-Jones says that as she's telling the story, the girl is scooting closer and closer and closer until she's almost in her lap. And when the story's over, Sally looks around. The teacher's nowhere to be found. She kind of panics a little bit. She thinks, what do I do with a room full of kindergartners? So she says the first thing that came to her mind, and what she said was this. Okay, children, what lesson can we learn from the story of Daniel? And she looked at that little girl, and she said her face dropped, and her eyes fell, and she was sad, and she completely lost interest in that moment. Sally Lloyd-Jones tells it this way, the best way to ruin a good story is to turn it into a lesson, because stories move us in ways that rules and lessons don't. I want you to see that there's a reason for that, and it is because of the way that our Creator made us. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't know where that is, it is right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. God has just created everything. He said that it was good, but he has not yet gotten to the best part of his creation, the pinnacle of his creation. And this is where we pick up in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you were good enough to create us, not because you need us, but because you loved us and you delighted in us. God, I pray that you would help us to see how much you love stories and how much we were made for stories. I pray that you would open our eyes to the story of Scripture so that we could know how much you love us, that we could know how much you have done for us, and ultimately so that we could know you better. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning, Lord, because my words alone are absolutely not enough. So let your Spirit move among us, open our hearts so that we would receive good from you ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, my son Sam is three and a half, and he's the one that everybody says looks the most like me. Uh, if you compare our baby pictures, they're just identical. All right, Sam is like a little version of Joe Deegan. And I've realized, though, that as he's gotten older, that it's, it's not just that we look alike. There's like way more going on there. Sam shares a lot of things with me in just the way that I'm made up. Like Sam is very creative and imaginative, which is very similar to me, but he's also very disorganized. He's very easily distracted, has trouble focusing on things, which is also very similar to me. Uh, just a lot of the ways that he thinks about stuff uh, is like me. But it's even more than that. When Sam was about nine months old, he started doing this thing where he would just like sit there and I would be sitting behind him, and he would just fall backwards. And I would catch him. It's like a nine-month-old version of a trust fall, I guess. And he'd just fall backwards. I'd catch him, and he'd just cackle laughing. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I'd sit him back up. He'd look around. Hey, do it again. And I just thought it was so funny. I'd never seen a baby do this before. And my parents came in town one day, and I said, Mom, you've got to watch Sam. It's so funny. I sat him down on the floor. He looks around. He throws himself back. I catch him. And I look up at my mom, and she's going, uh, Joe, you used to do the exact same thing when you were that age. I said, nah, you're making that up. And she showed me a home video of little Joe Deegan sitting in front of my dad in the living room, and I'd just be sitting there looking around, and I'd throw myself back, and my dad would catch me, and I'd cackle laughing like it was the funniest thing in the world. I was blown away. Like, it's not like I taught Sam to do that. Like, when he was nine month old, months old, I said, all right, Sam, it's time to do the trust fall that your dad used to do. Like, I never taught him that. This was not something I communicated with him. He just started doing it. And I've never seen another baby do it. There's just some weird mojo going on from father to son there that I don't understand. Inexplicable. Even little things like, like last week. Uh, my mom is here, by the way, with helping out with the kids. And last week, Sam was up at the, at the ocean. And most kids like to play in the sand and stuff. Or they'll like to go swimming or surfing. Sam did this thing where he would run up and he would kick the waves and he would fight him and punch him and pretend like he was a superhero. And my mom said, Joe, you know that's what you used to do at the ocean like for years when you were a kid. Is you didn't actually play, you fought the waves. And Sam does the same thing. It's like, where does that come from? Like, it's amazing, little things like that. that you, you never teach your kids. They just, it just kind of comes up inside of them because Sam shares my DNA and he shares the way that I'm made up. And I don't understand it, but it's crazy. And when people see Sam, 
You know what they say? They say that boy is the spitting image of you. That's what I want you to think about when the Bible tells us that we are made in God's image. It's not so much that we look like him, it's that we share his DNA. It's that he made us to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. We bear the image of our creator more than anything in all creation. The problem is that that image was tainted. It was ruined by the fall. When Adam and Eve took the fruit, all creation was cursed. And that curse was passed down to us. Generation after generation, we are born in sin. And that means that that image that we are supposed to bear has been twisted and warped so that we begin to love the things that God hates and hate the things that he loves. We begin to do the opposite of what we were meant to do. Every now and then we will see those echoes of Eden. We will see God's common grace and his goodness come through. We will see his redemptive grace. And we will see who we were really meant to be. And one of the ways we see that most clearly in the ways that we bear his image is in our love for stories. The reason we love stories so much is because God loves stories. He put that inside of us. When I was a youth leader, I used to teach a Sunday school class like every week. And I would always joke with my students about this because maybe I would be like in the meat of a lesson kind of giving the facts or maybe like the non-interesting parts, I don't know. And I could see their eyes just glazing over and I could see their heads starting to fall and I could see them drifting away. And then I would say, this one time, and every head would pop up, every eye would be open. Why? Because they knew that I was about to tell a story. You don't realize it, but you just did the exact same thing when I started telling that story, <laughs> okay? Because we were made for stories. We were made to love stories. It's what God put inside of us, literally in our DNA. We were made to love stories. How many of y'all have seen Avengers Endgame? Okay, for those of you who haven't seen it, let me tell you how it ends. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm um, <clears throat> that would be really cool. I, I didn't really grow up on comic books or anything, but I love the Marvel movies. I think they're really fun, and I've enjoyed all of them. What blows my mind is that Avengers Endgame is the second highest grossing movie of all time, and it's maybe about to pass Avatar as the number one movie of all time. And what's crazy is that if you think about it, for those of you who have seen it, it is not a great standalone movie. Like if you were to just walk into the theater to see that movie, having seen none of the other Marvel movies before that, you would go, wow, there was a lot of action, that was really fun, but I have no idea what was going on. Two different Thanos says, what the, like, what the heck's happening here? All right, you would be completely lost. And yet, that movie by itself is like about to be the most popular movie of all time. Why? Because people love stories. We love long, epic stories. Even stories that take 22 films to tell. We love those stories. And human beings flocked to the theaters when this story came out. Not because it was this great movie by itself, but because it was the conclusion of a long story that had taken 11 years to tell. You see how much we love stories? We were made for stories. And stories move us and shape us in ways that nothing else can. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by a guy named Andrew Peterson, who is a Christian 
author and uh, musician. Um, and he, he says that he heard this from somebody else. I have yet to find this quote from anyone else, so I'm just going to attribute it to Andrew Peterson. He says, if you want someone to know the truth, tell them. If you want someone to love the truth, tell them the story. The stories show us beauty. And they show us love. And they move us in ways that nothing else can. So I want to talk about three things this morning. Number one, your life is a story. I want you to see that your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. And number three, your story should be shaped by God's story. We will hit those as we go. Let's go back to number one. Your life is a story. I was an English major in college, and I can't count the number of times that I had professors impress this on us of all the things that every story has to have. There are, there are certain things that if a story doesn't have these things, then it's not a story. There are certain characteristics it has to have. This is going to sound a little bit like an English lesson. Please bear with me. This is important. All right, I'm making a point of this. I want to give you three things that every story has to have. And I'm super proud of myself because I made all three of these things start with the letter C. And because I'm an English major, I love alliteration. Okay? Number one, every story has to have construction. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It is constructed in a certain specific way. Beginning, middle, and an end. Every story has construction. Number two, every story has characters. Because characters build relationships that drive the narrative forward. Construction, characters. Number three, conflict. Every story has to have conflict. If you don't have conflict, you don't have a story. Every story has to have a problem that needs to be fixed or redeemed. Something's broken and needs to be made new. Every story has to have that. Construction, characters, conflict. I want you to think about your life for a second. Your life has construction. You have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You were born. You lived for a certain amount of time. We don't know how long. Eventually that time comes to an end. Your life has characters. You are one of those characters in your story. The main character most of the time. And you have other people in your life who come alongside you, who form relationships with you that help drive your narrative forward. And sometimes those characters in your story, they may not even be people. They may be places or things. I, I said earlier, I'm from Tuscumbia. I, I went, I moved, when I was Right out of college, I moved from a town of 7,000 people to 7 million people, all right? I've grown to love Houston, but it can be quite overwhelming at times. And especially early on, whenever I would go back and visit my hometown, Tuscumbia, I can remember driving down through 6th Street, coming into town and just seeing the buildings and the trees, and the smell of the air, and the, the, the way the seasons change there, the way they don't change in Houston, all right? Like, just little things like that. This city itself is a character in my story. So some of the characters in your story might be places or things of sentimental value, but these are characters that actually drive your narrative forward. And lastly, you have conflict in your story. We talked about it. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve ate the fruit and all creation was ruined. All creation fell under a curse, and that curse brings up conflict in every one of our stories. You have conflict in relationships with each other. 
conflict in relationships with your parents, conflict in school, conflict in sports, conflict in activities, conflict in your education, conflict in trying to figure out what you want to do when you grow up. But none of those compare with conflict inside us. Because so often we think that the evil in this world is out there. And we forget that our biggest enemy is our own flesh. The biggest problem with us is that sin that we were born with. That is the conflict that is eating away at us. And you know what's so terrible about it? Is that that conflict is oftentimes invisible to us. You can't see it. There is this thing inside of us that is destroying us, that is setting out to destroy us, but it is doing it at such a slow rate that we don't even know it's there most of the time. That, that's a serious enemy, okay? You think about like a villain in a story, imagine that. There's this villain that is inside of you that is slowly destroying you, but he's doing it at such a slow rate and so subtly that you don't even know it's there. That is real, guys. That's the enemy in your story and my story. That's the conflict that exists. You need to be aware of that before we go any further. Your life is a story, and you have real conflict in your story that needs to be redeemed, that needs to be fixed, that needs to be made new. There is only one hero who can do that. We'll talk about him later. Number one, your life is a story. Number two, your story needs to be shared with others. There's a, a writer named Emily Esfahani Smith who says this, when we want people to understand us, we share our story with them. When we want to know who another person is, we ask them to share their story with us. In other words, getting to know somebody is not just asking them questions like, what's your favorite color? What do you like to eat? Do you like the mountains or the beach? Okay, like you can kind of know somebody that way. But the best way to get to know somebody is to share your story and get them to share their story with you. Stories matter. And stories are the ways that we actually connect with one another. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not a counselor. I spent time in youth ministry, which meant that I had to counsel some students through some hard things. And I had a student one time who was going through something really hard. And I went and met with a counselor to get advice on how I was supposed to talk to this student. And the first thing they said was this, and it has stuck with me every day. It said, Counseling 101, the best way to convince somebody of the truth is to get them to hear themselves say it out loud. In other words, if I just go into a counseling session and I start telling somebody everything that they need to hear, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. But if I can somehow get them to share their story and their struggles and hear themselves say out loud what the problem is, that will actually shape them and change them. Getting someone to hear themselves say the truth out loud is the goal. The point I'm making is this. You need to share your stories with others because... Hearing yourself say your story out loud is actually going to shape and mold you in significant ways. James 5, verses 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And if anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let me sum up that passage. James is saying this. We have conflict. If you want to be healed of that brokenness, share your stories with one another. Because God does mysterious, incredible, amazing work through that very act of us sharing our stories with each other. I have a group of friends who recently we've been getting together literally like the past few months. And none of us live in the same city, but we'll get together every now and then. And the whole purpose of us getting together is to share our stories with one another. And so it, this is what it looks like. We'll sit in a circle and one person will go maybe for 30 minutes or so. And they'll, they'll say, this is what my childhood looked like. This is my relationship with my parents. Uh, these are the things that I loved doing when I was a kid. These are the things that were hard for, my, uh, for me growing up, the things that maybe affect the way that I handle certain things right now. Um, these are the things I struggle with right now. These are the things that I love right now. These are the things that I want to change. Just all, we just share our stories. And we don't give advice or anything. One person will go, and then we'll move on to the next, and the next. We just share our stories with each other. And the process of doing that, I cannot tell you how healing that is. To hear ourselves say our stories out loud and to hear our close friends share and be vulnerable. There is a true act of vulnerability in sharing your story with one another. And we need that. And I'm going to say this. This is a little side pitch here. But this is why God gave us the church. I heard someone say one time that the most important thing for your spiritual development is attending Sunday morning worship week in and week out. Not having a quiet time, not going to youth group, not going to RYM, although all of those things are really important. But the most important thing is being with the body of believers worshiping week in and week out. That's why God gave us the church. He wants you to be with other people, sharing life and sharing your stories with one another, because that is going to shape and mold you and change you and help you to grow. All right, last thing is this. Your story should be shaped by God's story. So if your life is a story, your story needs to be shared with others, and your story should be shaped by God's story. Let me also say this. You guys have been very patient, and you've hung in there with me. Today feels like a lot of laying the groundwork, right? I'm laying a foundation. There's, I'm like throwing a lot of stuff at you. I promise tomorrow I'm going to tell a lot more stories. Tomorrow we will, we will there will be fun stories, okay? And, the, and so on through the rest of the week. But I have to kind of lay this, this foundation and this groundwork. So thank you for sticking with me. This last part is actually super practical. And I'm excited about that because I think this is something you might can actually take away with you to help you down the road. Your story should be shaped by God's story. When I was a little kid, I used to have this question all the time of how do you listen to God? Because I would hear certain people say like, oh, you, you know, God told me to do this or God told me to do that. Or I, I've been listening to God recently. Or uh, you need to listen to God, son. Or, you know, what do you think God's telling you to do right now? And I would just be like, I don't know. What? How, like, I know he speaks to Moses and Abraham with this voice. Like, why did, why can't I hear that voice? How do you hear God? What, and I would never get a great answer. I would always just get this kind of like, well, you know, it's not like a, like a, 
it's kind of like it's not really this audible, but it's kind of you know it's I imagine it's kind of it's like like you kind of kind of have to feel it, and it's like they would just kind of keep rambling, and, and and I would say, well, I, I don't understand that. And like, well, you have to get really quiet. Like, I'm getting as quiet as I can. I can't hear God. How do you listen to God? And then when I was in high school, somebody told me this. I said the best way to listen to God is to read your Bible, because this is literally God speaking to you. Why it's called God's Word. I was like, oh my goodness, I've missed that my whole life. How did I not figure that out? Like, you want to know how to listen to God? Read your Bible. That's how you listen to God. Even then, I wasn't getting the full story. This is where I'm going to get slightly vulnerable with you and tell you how much I have struggled with reading my Bible my whole adult life. Because for the longest time, this is how I would listen to God. When I say listen to God, I mean read my Bible. This is how I would listen to God. I would listen to God as if he was a teacher in a classroom giving instructions. I would open my Bible and say, okay, God, tell me what to do in a certain situation in my life. Or, God, how does this passage apply to my life and what I'm going through right now? What lesson can I learn from this story? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying not saying that the Bible doesn't teach us. Don't walk away from this saying that Joe said that the Bible is not supposed to give us instruction. I'm not saying that. The Bible absolutely instructs us. It teaches us. It gives us lessons. First and foremost, this is a story. And it's not just any story. It's God's story. Remember earlier when I was saying I have this group of friends and we sit around and we, we tell each other our stories? This is what happens when you read the Bible. And guys, literally, getting this through my head, I literally got this through my head just like a few months ago. I'm in my 30s now. I got this through my head a few months ago. It has changed the way I read the Bible. Imagine you are sitting down with Jesus himself and you open up scriptures. And Jesus says, I want to tell you my story. And I want you to know me. And there are going to be parts of the story that teach you lessons. There are going to be parts of the story that instruct you. There are going to be parts of the story that will apply directly to something that you're going through in life right now. But there will be parts of the story that you may not understand. And parts of the story that have nothing to do with your life. Because it's not your story, it's my story. For example, <clears throat> I recently read through the book of Judges. There's a story in there about this guy who's running away from an army. He hides in this woman's tent. And he says, I'm seeking shelter. Can I stay in here? And she says, sure, sure. You can stay in here. In fact, lay down and go to sleep. I'll keep watch. And while he's sleeping, she grabs a massive tent peg, hammers it through his temple, and kills him in his sleep because she was, in fact, the enemy. All right, I read that story, and I thought, okay, and this applies to my life. I don't know. <laughs> there is no application to that story. How does this apply to my life? It doesn't apply to my life. But... It's part of God's story. And he told it to us for a reason. And in fact, it's part of a bigger story. And this is one of the worst mistakes you can make with the Bible, is when we divide it up into little snippets or little lessons, and we completely miss the whole context or the big picture or the big story that God is telling. It's not a buffet where we just pick and choose what we want. There's one whole story that God is telling us from beginning to end. 
And the reason he's telling us that story is because he wants us to know him. In a sense, this is God becoming vulnerable in us. This is God sitting down with you and saying, I want you to know who I am. So I'm going to tell you my story. You want to know how vulnerable he became? He became the word in flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what John says when Jesus was born. That's how much he wants you to know him. That's why he told us this story. And now the super practical part, I'm closing with this. You need to listen to his story every day. You need to listen to this story every day. Now, if I close with that, that would be like the worst thing I could possibly tell you because that's terrible advice and that's not helpful. So let me tell you something that has really helped me read my Bible because, again, I'm getting a little bit vulnerable with you. I have always struggled reading my Bible. Here I am. I was a youth pastor for seven years. I lead worship at this ministry. I teach classes. And for most of my adult life, I have struggled with reading my Bible every day. Literally until recently. And this is going to sound like an infomercial or something. I don't really care. I'm just going to tell you like what has helped me. I, I played sports growing up. And I, my best sport was basketball. And so I was, basketball is all about sprinting. Like you run as hard as you can for a certain amount of time and then you stop when you're exhausted. I was never very good at long distance running. Like one mile is plenty long enough for me. I cannot fathom the idea of running a marathon. It blows my mind how people can do that. 26.2 miles without stopping is unreal, okay? I'm not an endurance runner. And then I realized something. I've been reading the Bible like a sprinter, not an endurance runner. Here's what I mean. I would have this moment where I was just like, I'm gonna get super committed and I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read 10 chapters a day, every day for the next year. I'm gonna like read through the Bible twice. I don't know if that math adds up or not, but that's just what I would tell myself, okay? And I'm just going to be so on fire for Jesus and the scriptures, and this, it's going to work. And the first day I come in and I read 10 chapters, and I'm just like, man, feeling good about myself. The next day I read 10 more chapters, and I'm like, starting to get a little winded right now, okay? That was a lot. But you know what? God's happy with me, all right? So I'm just going to keep plugging along. The next day I read five chapters, and I'm like, gosh, I got a lot of things I have to do today. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to make up for it tomorrow. I'm going to read 15 chapters tomorrow. So the next day I come in, I read 15 chapters, and I'm exhausted by the end of the day. And so on the fifth day, I wake up, and I say, you know what? God, uh, he, he, he wants us to rest. That's, that's important. So, so I, think, I think God would be like really happy with me if I, if I took a break. So I'm, going to, I'm just going to like take a day off just like gather myself and I'm going to get right back on it tomorrow. So I take a day off and the next day I take a day off and the next and the next and it becomes easier and easier to stop reading my Bible. Why? Because I absolutely wore myself out sprinting. Here's the thing. Reading the Bible is not a sprint. It's an endurance run. It's a marathon. And you need to pace yourself. It is okay to pace yourself. So you know what I started doing? I started reading one chapter a day. I found a book. Of, I, I wanted to start in the book of Joshua because I read a lot of the first five books of the Bible many times. And so I wanted to pick up more in the middle, okay? Because it's really easy to flame out when you get to Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, okay? So I wanted to start in Joshua. 
So I read Joshua chapter 1 on day 1. And then I closed my Bible and I prayed. Day 2, I read Joshua chapter 2 and I closed my Bible and prayed. And so on and so on. And I did this, I started doing this like just a few months ago. And I haven't missed a day. I'm not saying that in any way to boast. Because I just told you how terrible I've been at reading my Bible my whole adult life. I'm saying this to encourage you and say, you can do this. It sounds such like, I cringe when I'm saying this because I feel like I'm giving you a motivational speech. But I'm telling you this because I want to encourage you and say that you can read your Bible every day. That there's nothing magical about reading a chapter a day. It's not like a chapter a day keeps the devil away. I'm not saying that, okay? But like, if you read one chapter a day every day for a month, how many chapters will you have read at the end of that month? 30, 31? When's the last time you read 31 chapters of the Bible in one month? Do you see how those little things add up over time? Because I think God cares more about us being consistently in the Word than He does about these grand gestures of faith of reading a lot every now and then. You need to be shaped by God's story every day. And you need to pace yourself the little bits of the time because this is not a book that you have to read in one month or even one year. You need to be reading this book over the course of a lifetime. This story should be shaping you for the rest of your life. And when you think about the rest of your life, that can be daunting. And when you think about opening this book and reading every word, that can also be daunting. So pace yourself. This is a marathon. And it's okay to read it slowly. I'm telling you this to encourage you. But I also know this. As I've been in the Word consistently, I have found a hunger growing inside of me for God's Word. So that some days I'll read two, three, four, seven chapters almost without even realizing. Because I'm so excited about God's story and I get to this part that's just amazing and I almost can't stop reading it. And I'm excited to wake up every day. Like, by the way, when you become a parent, you don't sleep in anymore. Like, it just doesn't happen. And my kids... Like, get up at 6, and we'll leave them in their rooms for, like, another hour, and we'll finally get them down at 7. But every morning, I'll get up at 6, and I'll read my Bible. And I'm excited to do that now, because I'm excited to be in God's story and in God's Word. But even on those days when maybe I read seven chapters, it's not like I say, well, I guess that's the new norm now. Like, that's the pace that I'm going at. No, next day, I'll read one chapter. I don't feel guilty about it. I don't feel bad about it. I just want to be in God's Word every single day, and I want you to be in God's Word every single day. Because God's story should be shaping your story. When you spend that consistent time in his word, you are going to be shaped and molded. And you are going to see your story driving in the direction of God's story. Luke 16.10, Jesus says this, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Be faithful in the little things. Consistently reading your Bible every single day and let God's story shape your own story. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we love you. We are so grateful for the fact that you opened up and told us your story. And we did it because you want us to know you. So God, I pray that you would that you would Awaken in us a desire for your word. And that every single person in this room would walk out of this building wanting to be in your word every day. And that they would be fired up 
about maybe doing something that they haven't done in a long time, which is reading the Word. And maybe we have all struggled with finding that consistency. So I pray that you would take away the guilt and the shame that the devil pours on us so readily when we read our Bibles and we feel like we're not reading enough. And then we just get discouraged and we stop. Lord, please take that shame and that guilt away. And would you give in us just a hunger for your word to be in it every single day, even if it's just a chapter at a time. Awaken that desire in us and in every single person in this room so that when we leave this place, we would be pursuing you so that our stories would be shaped by your story. And God, I pray that you would bless us tomorrow and the next day as we talk about the false stories that this world is trying to tell us true story that our author is telling us. God, we love you so much. We thank you for loving us, for making yourself part of our story. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Lunch is in a few minutes. Right down here?